From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. David, I'm excited to be with you and excited to teach this morning. Those of you who've heard me teach the last couple of times will know I, I have this problem and it showed up in the 8.30 service where my voice kind of starts to go high pitch when I talk too much. And so, just so you know, that may happen, okay? Um, what I discovered this morning, I think it's because I just worship too dang hard, you know? And so, if my voice goes high, it's a sign of holiness, um, <laughs> not adolescence, okay? So, I... I blame Yahweh, uh, not the person, but the song, um, just for the loss of my voice this morning. So uh, I want to uh, pull up uh, the first verse, uh, Galatians 5. It says this, it says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What I want to talk about this morning is that there is a difference between being set free and living a life of freedom. That what Paul is teaching us in Galatians chapter 5 is that it is possible to be a person who has been set free by Jesus and yet to have not stepped into the full expression of freedom that he has for us. And so what he's telling us right from this moment is that freedom, living a life of freedom is a journey that we step into. And what I want to suggest to us this morning is that there is a reality for us As humans, as followers of Jesus, there is a reality that living free can be way more scary, way more risky, way more challenging than living as a slave. That there is something in us that chooses emotional or spiritual or mental enslavement over freedom. And the point of saying that is not to judge our choices, but it's to invite us into the reality that being set free is about his work on the cross, but living a life of freedom is about our journeying with him into deeper layers of courage, deeper layers of truth, deeper layers of self-awareness. You ever see uh, Shawshank Redemption, that movie? If you haven't seen it, there's a prayer room at the back. Wi-Fi password is lowercase vintage. Just go watch it, okay? But in, I'm serious. Okay, you need to check your fantasy team, go do it, okay? Um, but in the story of Shawshank Redemption, one of the favorite characters, right, is Brooks. You know Brooks, right? He's the librarian with the bird and he, he feeds the bird and he takes care. And we build this deep love and affection towards this man, Brooks. And yet the reality is that when he is set free, when he finally experiences freedom, that all of his world shifts so dramatically that he can't take it anymore and ends up taking his own life. There's a reality, guys, that living free can be the scariest choice that we can ever make. Because living free means living free of a set of rules, a a way of uh, somebody else telling us how we behave, how we need to show up, what we need to do, what what the expectations are of God. And there's a reality even in our relationship with God that many of us want to live a life with him that is governed by him being angry and frustrated and telling us when he's disappointed in us and that is not the life that he invites us into. He invites us then into a journey not only of being set free but of living free. 
It's like in Mark chapter 8, Jesus comes to a blind man and he guides the man by the hand out of the village and he spits on his eyes and rubs his hand on the blind man's eyes and says, can you see now? And the man says, I can see, but men look like trees walking. And so Jesus touches his eyes a second time and moves his hands away and then the man says, now I can see clearly that there is a reality of freedom, of living a life in total clarity, that it is not simply about a one-time, one-time thing. That it is about Jesus inviting us into a journey of where he will put his hands on us as many times as it takes for us to be able to see the world as he sees the world. And the way he did that for that man in Mark chapter eight was by taking his hand and guiding him outside of the village. And saying, I want to invite you into a journey of sight. I want to invite you into a journey of seeing things more clearly than you ever have before. And so I think that story in Mark 8, it it mirrors something that Paul is writing about in Galatians 5. That it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so many things can keep us from a life of freedom. Maybe it's bitterness or maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anger or confusion or frustration or regret. Whatever it is, each of those things are giving giving us a set of rules to live by. They're telling us what we can and cannot do. Fear tells us what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. Regret tells you what you're able to step into and what you're not able to step into. Bitterness tells you who you can trust and who you can't trust. All of those things are lives of enslavement, not lives of freedom. And Jesus invites us to not only be set free, but to step into a life of freedom. Now, we aren't the first people to go on a journey like this, right? We look at the people of Israel. They had been enslaved for 400 years which means that generation after generation after generation had never known this thing called freedom. And in the background to their story of slavery, unbeknownst to them, this man called Moses is being prepared to lead them out of their slavery and into freedom. And Moses has been in his own wilderness experience for 40 years, tending to sheep, And God takes a man like that because God knows what Moses doesn't know, which is that Moses, I'm going to need you to take my people, my sheep, on their own 40-year journey through the wilderness. So even in that moment, God was preparing a man and taking his pain, his disappointment, and redeeming it so that he could lead others into freedom. And God meets Moses at the burning bush, right? We know that scene. A bush that is being burned, but not consumed. And I think even in that moment, it's a metaphor for us of God saying to Moses and saying to his people, I understand how you feel, that you have been burned, but you have not been consumed. And he takes this man, Moses, and makes him the leader of his people, Israel, and leads them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and towards the promised land. Now here's the reality. The literal journey geographically from where they were in Egypt to the promised land God had for them was 11 days. And it took them 40 years. Ever taken a wrong turn? Okay, ever? Ever like 
follow Google Maps and you're like, oh my gosh, I just, I missed that turn, right? But this was kind of on another level. Because the reality is this, they as a people had been set free, but they were not ready to step into a life of freedom. And maybe for us, the journey is 11 days, or maybe for us, the journey is 40 years. Wherever we're at on the journey, the invitation is to say, God, I want a deeper layer of freedom. I want to be free from fear. I want to be free from shame. And it is not just going to take one moment or one day. It may take 40 years. But the journey to the invitation is there. And guess what? These people, as soon as they've been set free, right, for the first time in their lives, in fact, for the first time in like 15 generations, they're the first people of Israel, first Israelites in 400 years to experience freedom. And so they do what, of course, we would expect them to do. They start complaining, right? Because that's what you do when you get free. You step into freedom and you're like, man, this was not what I thought it was going to be, okay? And they actually start grumbling back to Moses and they say, it would have been better for us to die in the land of Egypt where we were slaves than to live out here with no food, with no comfort, with no assurance. Because the reality, guys, is that stepping into freedom often requires way more courage, way more risk, way more of the unknown than allowing ourselves to be enchained by fear regret and bitterness and shame. And so they step out into this journey and find themselves somehow longing for the predictability of slavery, somehow longing for the reality where somebody else would tell them how to live. And we catch up to it in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We can read this together. This is the story where they are approaching the promised land And they choose 12 of their men to go into the promised land to spy it out to see if it's a place that they might step into, right? And so for them, freedom is like just around the corner and yet freedom is too scary. We gotta send spies in to tell us what it's like. And the spies come back and 10 of them, you know, I'm not gonna sing the Sunday school song unless my voice goes high, in which case I will, but uh, you know, 10 of them were, were, were bad or confused and two of them were good. So this is the story we're stepping into. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Here's the reality of what was keeping this people from freedom. It was not how God saw them, or it was not how their enemies saw them, but it was how they saw themselves. 
because they say we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Seeing yourself as less than, seeing yourself as not enough will always keep us from the freedom that God has for us. And so their problem was not what God said, their problem was not what even the enemy said, their problem was the inner voice within themselves saying that is not something that we can step into. And they turn and they say, we should choose a leader to take us back to Egypt. Can you imagine that job description on indeed.com? Okay, you're scanning, you're looking for maybe 15 bucks an hour or something like that, and up comes this job to be a leader, and your job is to take a group of free people and take them back into slavery, right? Not a lot of leadership skills required for that one, okay? Just a good GPS, an awareness of where you're headed, right? Can you imagine the group of Israel, the people of Israel coming back to Egypt after 40 years of journeying, and the people of Egypt like looking out and being like, wait a second, is that them? What are they doing? And they come back and they say, hey, sorry, we've been gone a while. Um, Just wondered if we could kind of get back to how things were. Because there is something about that life that was safer for them than this life. And so the freedom that God invites us into is not easy to step into. It takes more courage, more risk, more tenacity, more relationship, more self-awareness than going back to where we were from. Because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That these people were free for the first time in their people's history for 400 years. And yet stepping into freedom was so scary because of how they saw themselves and because of how they failed to see the God who was leading them. We step back then into the Gospels and in Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> I'm so glad my voice is holding. This is great. I can't, okay. Um, um, Mark 10, it says this. They came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. First of all, I love these stories where you see the people surrounding the blind man and Jesus, right? Because look how they're just trying to like please Jesus in this moment. First of all, the man's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they're like, shut up, keep quiet, you're bothering him. And then as soon as he says, bring him to me, he goes, come on, get on with it, come on, come on. Okay, the guy is like, he's just a pain to them, okay? Whatever their plan is for Jesus that day, this guy doesn't fit it. And he comes before Jesus, and Jesus asks the question that seems so obvious and yet I think is so deep and profound. He looks at the blind man and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it obvious that I want to see? Isn't it obvious that I want to experience life in a new way? 
Well, I think what Jesus was asking him is, son, are you prepared to pay the price of seeing clearly? Because this whole man's life, this man's whole life, his whole structure, his whole economic system, his whole family relationships, his whole way of living was dependent upon him being unable to see. And so the moment he opens his eyes and can see, guess what stops? Nobody gives him any more food. Nobody gives him any more money. Nobody gives him any more shelter. Nobody gives him any more sympathy. That's all gone. And what Jesus was inviting this man into was saying, are you sure that you want to be able to see? Because if you can see, everything will change. Right from this moment, you'll have to go find a job. Right from this moment, you'll have to go and find money to buy food. You'll have to go and find shelter. Right from this moment, you won't be able to ask others, the community around you for support the same way that you did. Because now you're a free man. Now you're a man who can see. And so the reality of this, this story, these, these stories colliding together, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, is the reality is that you and I can live our lives as free people. But the invitation of God is to go on a journey of freedom. It might take 11 days or it might take 40 years. But the journey that we are invited on is to move closer and closer and deeper and deeper so that anything that keeps us from freedom, whether it's bitterness or shame or regret or anger or fear, that all of those things would disappear so that we can live unchained, so that we can live finally free. The reality is in these stories is that our freedom is always on the other side of our fear that fear points the way. It actually tells us the way that we have to move. That the people of Israel were afraid of something. Why? Because behind that fear was something that really mattered. And so our invitation in this is not only to be people who stay as free, but a people who decide together to go on a journey towards deeper depths of freedom. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.